Hey, bud. What's happening today? Black elderberry. Hmm. Now, let's not confuse this with the black of the berry, but black elderberry. Did you call it the black of the berry? (laughs) (laughs) What is black elderberry? It is a a natural berry that grows in the world. Uh I don't know anything about the berry other than it's uh, immune-supporting properties for the human body. Is it tasty? Have you... Um, it's, how would I, it's kind of like a raspberry or a blackberry with no sugar. Like, cause I, it, what I get is kind of, a, it's just an extract uh. and you, I just put it under my tongue uh-huh. when I feel like I'm getting sick. Does it help? Yes. Really? I've, like better than some of the other ones you've talked about? Uh, no, I, 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 I use it along with zinc and mm-hmm. oregano oil okay. and, uh, vitamin D. Yeah. But like I've, it, it, so since then I have become, due to your comment, consistent about using them uh-huh. since my daughter's in daycare and she brings something have home you, every day sick less? no i haven't been sick since that since the, I, I took that kind of personally i was like i do yeah. get sick i have all these tools testimony huh. preach oh i want i want to try this one i yeah. you know i don't get sick a lot i actually hardly ever get sick so well um but still well you're just really Maybe. well emotionally adjusted or some <laughs> shit emotionally adjusted <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Gina. I'm a past guest and an avid listener, and I'm happy to be introducing today's show. This is the More in Common podcast. Welcome. This is a place where we explore the fact that we have more in common than that which divides us by anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation. Now, remember, you can find all things More in Common at moreincommonpod.com. There are episodes, merchandise, and blogs. And definitely, if you like what you hear, Give them a like in your favorite podcast app. Leave a review and we will try to read it on a future show. And of course, share, share, share. This is season two of 2020 that they have dubbed A Decade Possible. And season two is Discovery. Today's episode is with Brenda Nolasco, aka Brenda Nova. Brenda grew up a stout Jehovah's Witness and through her experiences had to navigate depression through adolescence that led to attempts of suicide. As a result, she has developed a passion for helping others find themselves. As a musician, she looks to channel that through her music. She writes her own music that aims to send a message about healing from issues with self-esteem, self-image, and emotional trauma. This is a soulful conversation that just makes us feel good. Hopefully it makes you feel good too. In this conversation, they talk about a lot of things. Her value in helping others find themselves through self-awareness and authenticity, her challenge to self-discovery, her journey as a Jehovah's Witness, and much more. Enjoy today's amazing conversation with Brenda. Survive and thrive in this economy, but we leave out the importance of, of loving self, of believing in self, the importance of establishing confidence, how to establish confidence. We look at failure as something bad. And in my experience, I've been failing my way to where I am. And it's because of my failures, I've been learning and growing and have the hunger and desire to continue to do better. 
and I know that I will continue to fail my way to success. I know that's cliche, but... been through a lot to make me grow up fast and and I've also just been always I've always been curious and, and I love knowledge I love learning um, that's fun to me Today we are with Brenda Nova. Brenda, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm well. Happy to hey. be here. So are we. Thanks for joining us. Thanks uh, for inviting me. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. The uh, So the, you had this this post on Instagram, uh, and, and you mentioned, uh, <laughs> we can talk about the whole thing, but you mentioned a fluoride stare. You said when, when you say something important and all you get back is that fluoride stare. Mm-hmm. What is a fluoride stare? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> like, I a, don't know. It's a glazed overlook of, huh? <laughs> As so, in, like Keith said, I don't know. It's it's glazed. That's that's the word that comes to mind. It's just complete, complete ignorance. Just completely oblivious. Mm, got you. In my opinion, this that thousand yard stare that you get from a new parent. When they've just had their child, hmm. <laughs> or I didn't know, like, or when you anyone, like when they there, just don't know what's going on. Like, is it about anything that you say? Like, how, how does how does that play out in that glazed over? Why is it called a fluoride stare? I mainly feel that that's associated to things dealing with consciousness and mm. self awareness more so than. Social subjects. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very much so concerned and passionate and hungry for global self awareness. I think that all of the issues could be resolved if we would look within ourselves, if we would become more aware of self, more mindful of self. And so when I touch on topics that deal with that, as far as self-love, esteem, worth, um, intuition, those kinds of things, I'll get that. They're like, what, what are you talking about? Mm. So that's why do more you, so. Why do you think, why do you think you get the stare? Like, why do you think, it, are you saying it's the majority of people you talk to? Don't like they hear those terms. They're like, I have no clue. Or is it just small percentage or what what's the what's the makeup and then why do you think that is and my experience has been the majority and i think it's been that because of conditioning we're conditioned to look to external sources for for self-worth for for everything really we're we're not we're not taught in schools to believe and trust in yourself it's about getting a good education so you can get a good job and then survive and thrive in this economy but we leave out the importance of of loving self of believing in self the importance of establishing confidence how to establish confidence we look at failure as something bad and 
in my experience, I've been failing my way to where I am. And it's because of my failures, I've been learning and growing and have the hunger and desire to continue to do better. And I know that I will continue to fail my way to success. I know that's cliche, but it definitely fits. Is <clears throat> I've been thinking about this a lot recently. So is, is it the failure itself or the analysis of the failure? And I only, honestly, because I'm a super literal person. And sometimes I hear that and I'm like, yeah, no. But I mean, I, and I 100% believe that if you don't fail and you don't make something from everything, the wins and the losses, then, then you can't grow. But I feel like there's almost a, there's almost a, a gotcha, a trap in, saying fail like fail fast fail often without the caveat like it's how you fail it's not just failing Mm. so to answer i would say it's the analysis of the failure because after that there's a reflection of either what can i take from this how can i learn or i suck because i failed i shouldn't try again so i think whichever angle of approach you use in analyzing the failure is what's going to determine whether you try it again or whether you give up, or whether you can learn from it and and keep going. Mm. No, I'd agree with that. Now, and I've been in this whole realm of self-awareness as we spend a lot of time on the back end, like just Rodney and I talking about this, trying to grow, trying to build, trying to get better, do more with what we have, and really that that internal self-reflection because you said something there we're, we're trained to be a part of the machine right mm-hmm. um, and that machine in theory is really about the social consciousness right the the idea that we all contribute to something that everybody is a part of now does it need to be a machine no right um, but how do you look at the reflection of self-awareness while also being part of the broader social consciousness. Does that make sense? Mm. How do I look at self-awareness or self-reflection while still being involved in broader social consciousness? Yeah, or social contribution. Like, so... I think it ties in. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like once you do, once you do choose to be self-aware and you establish how you can contribute, then you can do it authentically and that'll add to social anything because we're all connected. And I feel like in us individually aligning and growing and but choosing to do so, then we can all contribute to one another and do it authentically so because I think that's important too. Not doing something because you feel obligated, because but because in your heart you really want to, and you realize this will help this person. That'll in turn help them, and and at the end we're all helping one another. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's it's I I completely agree, um, and it's one of those things that the more authentic you are, the more aware of who you are, the more you can actually bring to the collective, 
Whereas if you're going through the motions of obligation, you will bring less of yourself to the collective and ultimately impact negatively the collective. And even if it's inadvertently, it may not be directly, it may not hurt somebody, but by virtue of not being uh, um, uh, your best, I, I totally agree with that. I think, uh, so is that is that the definition then of authentic or genuine? You know, that like that, that it's a little buzzwordy these days. Like, oh, I'll be authentic. Like, but is that the definition? Like being self-aware, being so that you can bring yourself to any situation that you're in, or how would you two define it? I would define it as being true to yourself. So maybe that's synonymous with self-awareness. I would say being true to yourself and doing what feels good and right to you. How have you, how has that journey been for you? It's been challenging. It's been challenging because I grew up in a very strict religion where I was taught. Which one? Jehovah's Witness. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. And we were taught to be obedient to never question anything. Critical thinking was not encouraged. Um, Education was not encouraged. It was all about, this is God's will and this is what we're supposed to do and there's nothing else. So coming out of that, which I did, fortunately, I was left in a huge state of confusion as far as who I am and what am I supposed to believe and what what do I do? So I, through research, and I love to read, And I just started questioning things. And I still question because ultimately I think everything is about your perception. There's there's a billion ideas and opinions and facts, things that people agree upon. But ultimately, I believe you should go with what feels right and good to you. So going back to that, um, it was challenging because and it's it's been challenging because when you're accustomed to to following the crowd, to break away and then start saying, wait a minute, I really want to do this. It's difficult, especially it's like a habit that you have to break and then build another one. So it's been challenging, but in a good way, because I've learned a lot about who I am, what I represent. And that's still a question that I don't have a thousand percent defined. I don't know that I ever will, um, but I'm enjoying learning and expanding and, and growing in that sense. So you mentioned in Jehovah's or in your religious experience, like it was very much, this is it, can't question it. Mm-hmm. Cult-like. I heard something two days ago, and I've I've tried to define the difference between religion and cult, like a lot for almost much of my life, um, and I I don't know that I have the answer, but I heard this the other day. Somebody said, um, if you want to know who's in power, figure out who you're not allowed to criticize. Like whoever you're not allowed to criticize is the one that's in power. Hmm. and and then so hearing you say that i'm like huh so if you're in a church or group or whatever and you can't criticize that group how you know i guess there could be some healthiness in that but there may not be like if you can't quite because if you can't question it then how can you how can it grow how can you be certain that uh, that it's the best thing for you or the best thing for whatever. But I, I'm, I don't know. What do you guys think about that, that, con- that idea, not being able to question something in it, having power? Keith, you want to go first or you want me to answer No, first? you go first. I got to think about it first. Well, I think I have some thoughts. 
I, I think that the differences between cult and religion are exactly that. Cult doesn't allow you, quote, allow you to question anything. Religion, well, first, I don't feel like either are necessary. I feel like they're both established to, to control and to instill fear. Uh, but cult is more so strict and restricting in that you're not allowed to question. I found that, especially in the South where I live, this is a this is the Bible Belt. So there's a lot of you know I'm a Christian and big churches, and it's it's very much a religious community. So uh, observing them and knowing some of them, they they do question things, but there's uncertainty everywhere. No one really knows what to believe. So they kind of go by the pastor's word and it's like, okay, well, this is my pastor and they idolize this person. Um, mm, that's a which, whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm kind of jumping around. No, that's good. I'm it's, writing uh, it down. It, um, it's been interesting to observe. <laughs> and a lot of times going back to that fluoride stare, I get that a lot from my, uh, my Christian folks down here in the South. So <laughs> that's interesting. Indeed. I've had plenty of plenty of discussion that sometimes turns into argument and then I just walk away. But anyways, getting back to your question, <laughs> as far as cult and religion, um, cult more so does not emphasize uh, questioning anything. And in bigger religions, I think, I don't think that that's necessarily encouraged, but I don't see it as frowned upon. Short I'm, answer after the long answer. Yeah, yeah no, that's no, good. good. You'll, you'll get a lot of that from us. So we're used to it. Um, we're, we're qualifiers. Yeah. We like to jump, so <laughs> if you haven't good. noticed already, I think it's an interesting point of view. There's that word again, interesting. Um, <laughs> in that when you're, I, I think it's a power over your, in yourself. Right, I think the idea, to your point, is what you can't question is power over you, in so far as you allow it to be. Right. Mm. Um, granted, there are certain societies, certain places where if you do question, they have physical power over you, and they may imprison you or whatever the case. Whereas here, that you know, depends on where you are, but for the most part, if you're kind of like what you did Brenda right like you could allow for it or you could question it and decide okay this doesn't have that over me any longer I need to pave my own path or do my own thing and you know because you start questioning things you know it's when you question the company you work for you start giving yourself power to decide do I want to stay there do I want to not go stay there you you give yourself freedom um so uh, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting point in in such that what you can't question is the thing that ultimately has power over you, whether it's the structural power or just you know identity power that that makes you not do certain things. Hmm. That's the way I would look at it. But on that line, you like said, well, thinking. Go ahead. I was yeah, going to go, I was going really, to go cult religion thing more. So but, there were like, there's this, yeah, on this whole religion thing, because this is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson. God, man, what? <laughs> For real? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, you'd be, you'd be fascinated by we're their, their debates um, that they, they have on YouTube. They have four of them. It's, it's fantastic, heady dialogue 
Um, but Are at they the in same politics? time, no, it's mm. more about um, their moral like, code. One's a psychologist, one's a scientist, and, and they are modern day philosophers. Yeah. Okay. And they are debating, in this sense, ethics and morality and how we as humans move together. And they're coming one from a Christian religious framework, somewhat, kind of. But it's a Jordan. religious it's framework. Kind of. He, we'll he call kind it. of has, like, he doesn't have a problem with religion. Let's, I'll put it like that. Right. That's not but necessarily his framework. That he's also a scientist, and yeah. And then the other guy hates religion, like, like and, and I say that, but like he, he's he hates religion, but he has other frameworks for like, for getting too good and ethics mm. and like morality, and so they're just debating, like, well, as a society, like, how do we promote good? And one says, well, religion is a good mechanism for that, and one, and the another says that it's not. And, but I don't and, know where you were going with it. And Keith. that's yeah, and that's effectively where I'm going with it because on the one side of the debate says that people need the simplified moral code that religion ultimately provides to be quote unquote good. On the other side, Sam Harris's point of view is we all have a general sense of what is good. So we can all, and this kind of goes to your comment about self-identity is what feels right, right? And then you tie that into your background as a Jehovah's Witness and then leaving that, like, how do you feel religion provides a guideline for people to do what feels right while that feeling is good, and not follow a what feels right when that is negative towards other people and not having the religious structure at the same time. Like, where would you fall? Like, what do you think about, I know this is kind of an off the cuff question and a roundabout way of getting there, but like, does that make sense? I'm curious to get your take on it since you have that religious background, but you left it and you live by a code of what feels right, but you're a good person. So like, do you think that that applies to everybody? I think if you're brave enough to decide to trust yourself and go with what's innately in all of us, then it's for you. I feel like what religion has done is given some people something to believe in because we all have a need to believe in something. Um, and because we've been conditioned for so long to think it's not within us, for those that are in religion, I feel like it's been beneficial in that way. Mm. Um, but that's also because they haven't decided to trust what's when innately within them. When I, during my time as a Jehovah's Witness, I, I never, I never, I never trusted myself. I never, I didn't believe in myself. I felt mm. like everything was, was supposed to be given to me and taught to me. And I remember feeling extremely depressed and, and just lost. Um, and coming out of that, I did too for a while because there was still that, that lack of identity. But then I started to trust. I started to, to read. I think that self-education is important in that sense so that you can find the, the roots or the origins of religions and the purpose that they serve and, 
um, I may be going around because I'm thinking of different no, elements this is from good. your question. Yeah, no, um, this is good. But if you would if you would break it in half, you said initially, what do you think it or no? Actually, will you repeat the first half of your question? Like, just I think the first half was generally what what do you think religion's role is? Ah. It would be probably where I was going with that, even if that might not have been how how I did. Followed by, okay. do you think people, and I guess, does it have a purpose? And do you think people are equipped to live a good life, even though a good life I will always put in air quotes, by a what feels right, by a by a subconscious moral ethic that we all may or may not have? Okay, so first half, I feel like the role of religion has been to provide a moral compass for people that are not, I don't think we have, the majority of us are equipped because of, again, conditioning, and this is stemmed down from, from history and generation, tra generacion, <laughs> switched it to Spanish. Generation to generation. <laughs> I was like, wait, what did you just say? I don't know. Gener I, I was generation like, to generation. <laughs> so it turns out it wasn't English, and that's why I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that, unfortunately, the majority of people are not equipped to do that because they've been taught not to believe in themselves. For me, it comes back full circle. If, we're, mm -hmm. if you're taught that you don't have the answer within, then you're going to grow up thinking you don't have the answer within. So let me look for it externally. So I think that religion has provided, again, that moral compass for people to decide what's good and what's wrong. But I do believe that it's possible. I don't know that that may be something that we see in this lifetime because of the, the humongous role that religion plays in the world. I don't know that it's possible right now, but I do believe that it's possible. And I do believe that there's a shift of awareness happening where people are starting to question and starting to waken up and, and see, okay, maybe there's another way of looking at things when it comes to everything, I think that people are starting to overall question things. At least that's, that's, that's my hope and desire internally. So I know that that's being projected somewhere. So that's why I feel that. But I do feel like if, if we started changing the paradigm of belief when it comes to religion, when it comes to self, when it comes to educating, then we would totally be capable of just trusting. Trusting yourself and knowing innately, yes, this is right or this is wrong. And for me, a good rule of thumb is to think, okay, whatever I'm going to do, what I want it done to me, whatever I'm going to say, what I want that said to me, because ultimately we're all connected. What I do affects you and in turn affects the other. And I think that that, there's no, no need for any other compass. The pastor thing, like the pedestalizing of the pastor, it's interesting because I, I went, I've been, I don't know how many different churches growing up, Catholic, Christian, non-denominational, uh, and like the best pastors I had, they were like, they would open up talking by like, question everything I say. Mm. Come see me later if you have a question. And I'm not a God. I am just a mess. I'm just, I'm just passing my interpretation of this to you and you got to figure it out for yourself. Back to my idea of people being dumb in groups. What the congregation tends to do is like, this guy's got it. Like he spends all this time. Like, this guy is like, oh my God, I've never seen it like that. And he's amazing. And it's like, well, yeah, if you spent all day reading it, you might grab some new things too. But we don't. Right. We just go to this person mm -hmm. for our understanding. 
and give your power away. Yeah, give your give your power away. Mm -hmm. But like in those cases, I was fortunate where I had somebody I could question. Whereas I don't know that everybody has. Well, I know that everybody does not have that. (laughs) Definitely not. When when someone refers to their religion growing up as a cult, (laughs) Mm. right? And it was. No holidays. That's where I draw the line. Yeah, no birthdays, man. Come on. That sucks. (laughs) That really sucks. My sister had a friend growing up. He would join us just to like get a taste of it. He's like, Mm. I'm not really celebrating. I'm just here though. And having to do stuff in secret. I mean, feeling like you're you're wrong for just wanting to do everyday things. Come on, man. That's there's another there's another thing between cults and and religion, like secrecy. Like if there's like if there's Double stuff lives. that's not out in the open, <laughs> then like, hey, nix it, because like that's just that don't work in any organization, mm. in any organization. And, and, and funny, like a lot of the stuff we're talking about, religion or not, like this flows through to everything. Companies, it flows mm-hmm. through to politics, to media, over, all of overlook. it. I do think it's possible for us to get to that point, though, one mind at a time. One person deciding at a time. I'm not saying it'll be quick or easy, but I do think it's possible for everyone to get to that point. And it may sound idealistic, but I love the idea. It's part of what inspires me and part of what I do music for to to increase self-awareness and to increase uh, questioning and, and just knowing that anything is possible. Anything is possible. And if you're focused and determined... And not not just so for the benefits of self, but for the benefits of all of us. So you said music. You use music to help enable self awareness and yes. and like so. How how does that work for you, or how do you see it work for others when you're when you're performing? Like how does that work? Music is unlimited opportunity, unlimited possibility, unlimited expression, and I feel like because it is so open and free creatively, anything goes. And it's, it's the one thing for me that ties everything, everyone together. Another cliche, it's a universal language, and it really is. I think the frequency provided by music instantly adds either joy or calmness or whatever emotion you need at the moment is provided by music. And I think it goes straight to the heart. So for me, it's always been my creative expression. I've been singing since I could speak. Um, uh, dancing as well that's always just been a way to just be free what kind and, of dance oh i was telling uh rodney what i do now primarily is latin so merengue salsa bachata cumbia a little a little tango although i need to work on that but um <laughs> i grew when i was younger i did some jazz no tap dancing and um actually a little hip-hop as well and tribal dancing i don't really know how to describe it except it was it just felt tribal so um but going back to the question how what was the question (laughs) how does music enable that shift of awareness in Uh, you and in in others oh okay Oh, then I feel I've answered it, yeah. yeah. And as far as it touching the heart and being able yeah. to express freely. So yeah. so what, like, when did you leave being a Jehovah's Witness? I was 14. And 
what has that journey been like to self-awareness for you? Like you mentioned, you're still, you're always finding it and evolving and changing. Uh-huh. But like, I, I imagine, especially at that age, it mustn't have 14, been you're still with your parents, right? Yes. Were they okay with that? With my mom. My mom actually left first. So interestingly, she was gone two years prior to me leaving. And that made for a very difficult relationship with my mother. Uh, we were actually, we didn't talk for. Were you angry at her or mad at her? Confused, angry. I felt abandoned. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I wanted to get baptized. She wouldn't let me. And I remember feeling such rage toward her. And then later on going back and saying thank you for not letting me do that. Hmm. Um, after I came to my own conclusions about what that meant and being that much more committed to a society that I no longer wanted to be a part of. So my father was not around growing up. So he, I, I was born into the religion. So he was uh, what they call disfellowship. They kicked him out. My mother disassociated herself. She chose to leave. Say disfellowship? Yes. Is that kind of like excommunication? Exactly. Like what do you have to do to get kicked out? Um, Celebrate Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you're not not off, actually. (laughs) Celebrating holidays is a definite no. You're going straight to hell, so... Uh, that was that was one, um, and and really, shouldn't that be punishment enough? Like, do we have to kick you out of the group too? Mm, right, <laughs> it's just coming to hell. I mean, for yeah. me, for me, the biggest one that always hit me was was my birthdays, <laughs> my birthdays, because yeah. for me, a lot of holidays, you know, it's so much commercialism centered around it and getting more people's money. But I like the the bringing the people togetherness of it. Um, but anyways, that's another thing. So that, that mainly affected me the most, though, not having birthdays. And, uh, yeah, so my mom left before I did, and I was 14. And what else did you say? How has that been? Well, like, real quick, because this that? is part of it. This is the journey of, like, mm-hmm. being in it and being out of it. So, like, birthdays. Mm-hmm. You were aware of the concept of birthdays, mm-hmm. but you didn't celebrate them. Right. Your friends. Wait, so were you... 100% in a Jehovah's Witness community, like school yes. and so no Well, no, the, the, school, the school, there there are no schools that are just for Jehovah's Witness. So we went to just, pub, I went to a public school. So everyone around me was doing all the normal kid things and I was not. So any holidays, any, any extracurricular activities was also not allowed because I was considered worldly. Hmm. So like no band, no no band, sports, no sports. So even the dance crew that I was in, I got I had to get out of because it was too worldly. How did you process that at such a young age? Like everybody else is doing these things that seem natural, social, or like were you? I mean, obviously you were in it until you were fourteen. So I mm-hmm. imagine you weren't. It wasn't like how did that affect you? I was severely depressed. I internalized all my emotions. I tried to kill myself once. It was terrible. Ooh, how um, how yeah. old? How old? When, <laughs> when you had the suicide attempt. You're 12. not our first guest telling us this, by the way. So. Mm. I was 12. Um, how did Is that you... around the time your mom got out? You yeah. said she left a couple years before you? 
Yes, actually. Did that contribute to it? To the no. depression? No. no. I mean, well, I mean, it didn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it did, but that's not why. I remember that's not why I wanted to. I just, I just hated my life. I just, at that time, I just hated my life. And so, can I ask what saved you? I mean, you made the actual attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I remember there was a lady that she gave me Bible studies, and I remember, wow, I'm really digging deep into the memories here. Um, she, I remember just talking to her about it, and I always felt like I could confide in her, like a counselor, if you will. And I remember her telling me, no, but you have purpose here. And I remember asking, what, what, what purpose could I possibly have? I can't do anything I want to do. And um, that's when I started questioning, well, why can't you do anything you want to do? And why can't you find your purpose? Um, but I still didn't make any act on it until a few years later. Um, but mainly that lady, her, her, she was a very close friend of mine and I, I confided in her and I remember I remember it was her sadness at the thought of losing me that made me feel like okay maybe I'll stick around because of her and I gave did you sh- yeah so from a timeline perspective so you you attempted mm-hmm. it didn't work didn't work for whatever reason mm-hmm. and then so she knew about it or you told her about it and then she shared that with you? I told her about it and then she shared it with me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea that you have purpose has stuck with you? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. How, how did that, like you said, you felt abandoned by your mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that two-year window. How, how did you get through all of that? Because like, that's a lot. Right, it you is. feel no personal self worth. You, you know, are depressed. Now you feel abandoned by your mother, mm-hmm. um, and you said your dad wasn't around. Right. So did like, she? How, how did you how manage? Did, how did she that exit? Age? Like, she, did she just leave and say you can come, or she wrote a letter to the elders and told them that she was no longer going, but she knew that, um, at that time, just my brother and I remained, I guess, obedient Jehovah's Witnesses. We have three siblings. My oldest has never been about that life. She's never been about it. She was just there because she had to be, um, my older dipped sister. And dipped as soon as she could. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> she always, she, she's been such a great example of following self and intuition. She always trusted herself and always went with herself. So yeah. I was happy to have that example, even though we never got along growing up. But anyways, <laughs> um, so going back to my mother. Probably this, for that reason, right? Yeah. 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 So my mother knew that my brother and I still wanted to be actively involved in the organization. So she would still take us to the meetings um, and, you know, to go preaching and all that. So, uh, but it was very, it was, it was a terrible time. There's a lot of it that I've chosen to block out of my memory because it just no longer serves me any purpose to even think about it. Um, So I don't know how I got through those two years. In all honesty, I don't Mm. know. It must have been divine grace. It must have been, because I don't know. 
I don't know. Mm. Our know. brains are amazing. Like we can withstand some stuff and yeah, our can. brains do things to help us survive. Absolutely. Uh, all kinds of shit. So you finally made the decision to leave yourself. Like yeah. how did you come to that decision? And mm-hmm. then what was, what has been the journey to self-awareness been like for you? So what made me make the decision actually was something very superficial. Um, they scolded me because I decided to color my hair. Mm. Some, a radical red. Woo. <laughs> and I remember thinking, are you serious? I know some of these kids are going and going to clubs and having sex and smoking weed. And you're going to get on me about um, my hair color. And that just for me was just like, oh, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Question. So, <laughs> so what? Questioning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bad logic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, wait a second, what? Yeah, exactly. So then, so then I left and my mother was happy about it, but she also um, just wasn't able to provide me any guidance on what to do next. So I pretty much spent the next several years lost, angry, confused, um, and really not knowing what to do, not knowing what to do, period. Um, Mm. And what what saved me was at 23 i'll be turning 33 this year this uh, this november so i'm excited about that uh, for several reasons but uh i decided to start researching i had always i had always enjoyed reading i was reading fiction and and i lived in my imagination a lot so part of that part of that must have must have helped during those two years but um I've always been very, um, I've always had a very vivid imagination and I just started pretending and and daydreaming and thinking of what things could be like. So I started reading, I started reading and I I ended up coming across um, Universal Laws, which has taken me from one author to another. I mean, going from Jim Rohn to Les Brown to Louise Hay to... Uh, Reverend Ike, T.D. Jakes, even some of the the, the more uh, religious speakers or gurus, if you will, um, anyone that had to do with self-help and personal development. And so I pretty much engrossed myself in that and have done so for the last 10 years, uh, maybe a little more than 10. And that's just opened me up to, to so much, so much about myself to the point where now I don't do as much reading. I still I still listen to an audiobook here and there, but I, I really look within. I do a lot of meditating. I, um, I do a lot of writing, creative writing. Singing is a wonderful expression for me because I'm able to still continue learning about myself. And lately I've been talking to a lot of old people. <laughs> I've been uh, open and receptive to wisdom and that's been really helpful and really calming in a weird you, way <laughs> by old you mean old uh age-wise like time on this planet i do i do mean that because although i don't think you necessarily have to have had the years to have the wisdom well i was gonna say you uh, seem i would qualify you as an old soul i definitely uh, yeah. you're 33 <laughs> but you don't speak as if you're 33 yeah, yeah. well I've, I've been through a lot to make me grow up fast and and i've also just been always I've always been curious and, and I love knowledge. I love learning. Um, that's 
fun to me. <laughs> what do you? What do you? Also, all, from, real quick, Keith. Sorry, uh, like, yeah. having age doesn't make you wise either. There's a right, lot of exactly. Old, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's what I said. That. Yeah, yeah. And I welcome wisdom and knowledge from from all. I don't. I never think. Oh, because you're younger, you don't know. Absolutely not. Souls are are ageless. And hmm. what do yeah. you take? I mean, you say you're talking to elders. Mm-hmm. This is a. You know, I, I don't know if it, it is a thing, right, where we generally as a culture don't do that anymore. We put them in a home. And, Unfortunately. You know, we, we separate them from society so that, you know, the elderly talk to the elderly and we don't listen to them and learn from mm-hmm. them. What's that experience like for you? What do you take from those kind of like functionally, how does it work? Do you just go to to, to retirement home? Like what, what do you... No, actually, the the jazz gig that I have every week um, is frequented by a lot of old people, and mm. and that's been really enlightening for me. What I'm what I'm gaining more than anything is the value of emotional intelligence, mm. um, because that's something that I got zero of growing up. <laughs> you know, do good in school, make good grades, but when it comes to emotional intelligence, it's like, what is you know, that? You don't, you don't have them. Yeah. 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 So, um, and, and also perspective on when you asked earlier what I'm, what's, what I'm interested in, I think, and I said, uh, peace and, um, mm-hmm. harmony. Harmony, just, harmony acceptance, yeah, except, yeah. Shrimp. And, <laughs> <possibly>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, I eat shrimp usually every, every week there <laughs> and last <laughs> night. Anyways, um, but yeah, they've, they've helped give me perspective on that. Yeah, life gives us challenges, but what attitude are you going to choose to deal with them? Are you going to choose to be defeated by it? Or are you going to choose to keep going? And not only that, everybody has a story. Everybody has challenges. So no one person's story is worse or, or better than another's. It's just you, you deal with the cards you were dealt in the way that you choose. And it's up to you ultimately to either... Let this be what defeats you or let this be what catapults you to continue to do better. And my drive comes absolutely from within me only. I, I realized that I chose my, my parents and my experience to give that to myself, that internal substance, that internal strength to, to keep going. And that's part of why I've delayed... Um, on having a family, I'm. I've, I said earlier, I'm in no rush for that, and I, I also want to get to the place where I can provide that kind of environment if and when I have a family. Because you know, as a Latina, that's like, what? You're 33. You're not married, no kids. What? You know, that's that's unheard of. So, <laughs> um, that's part of it. So I've just, um, I'm just determined to get to where I want to get to, and I will. That's amazing. Latina, what's your heritage? And my both of my parents are from the Dominican Republic. The DR. Yep. <laughs> when I when I was fluent in Spanish in college, one of my I hung out with a lot of different. Oh, how do you? Before I even say that, how do you feel about the term Latinx? Do you use it? Do you not? I've never Just... heard it before. No. <laughs> no. Never. This never. is. Well, maybe it's because I'm in L.A. and we're all special. But the whole, um, yeah, he's heard of it. The Latinx. Um, 
So, okay. so uh, there's a movement within and without of Latino communities to remove the masculine feminine mm. out of saying Latino Latinx and saying Latinx. Oh, uh, okay. I see. So it's like instead of calling someone him or her, calling them they because of their uh, orientation or if they've decided to. Right. I, I get I get it. But it's but it's I guess it's it's like that, but it's saying that that's how we're going to or some would say like that's how we're going to now instead we're not gonna say Latino, we're gonna say Latinx. Because mm. Latino is because they're because it's the you know, the the priority goes to the male in Spanish. So if there's a group of women it's Latinas, but if there's one guy then they're Latinos. So they're like, no, we're gonna go let Latinx, Latinx, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, <laughs> I um, really, I really don't have an opinion on that. I mean, if that makes some people feel good, cool. Um, mm. Yeah, <laughs> I like that approach. The um, oh, the reason I was bringing because and so when I was when I was fluent in Spanish back in the day, uh, one of my guys is from Bolivia, so his nickname was Bolivi. Mm. And they and they called me Domini because they're like, yeah, you look like you could be Dominican. You so. do. <laughs> you do. Um, I'm curious about like the choice of self discovery and kind of going back to that conversation about the place of self awareness and structural religion um, coinciding together. If you were to to attribute positive from your jehovah's witness experience like do you think that gave you a moral grounding um into your intuitions today like what role do you think that plays into the person that you are today aside from the resistance role Mm. yes i do think it it has attributed to my grounding morally simply because it happened um Mm. i i chose it for a reason and i I think in one way, I like to think this this puts me, this eases my mind. I chose it to keep me from another path that could have been self-destructive. I realized one of my weaknesses has been uh, having an addictive personality. I'm naturally curious and I will mm. try anything once, most anything. Now that I have more <laughs> knowledge, most anything, not absolutely everything. Um, and so in some ways that can be detrimental so I think um, in as far as something positive that Jehovah's Witness provided for me, I think it, it, it kept me from doing something self-destructive. I, I, artists tend, not just artists, but we're, we're dramatic, you know, we're dramatic and we're drawn to that. Drama. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, you know, I joke sometimes with, with some people and say, well, I'm an artist. Of course I'm dramatic. What do you expect? Come on. But sometimes I think... Um, that that could have gone to extremes. I've had a lot of extreme experiences, especially uh, in my early twenties, and I, I that puts my myself at ease to give me an answer as to why me, why this experience. So it was definitely necessary. Yeah, I think that's. Um, I I I appreciate that perspective. Just you know the optimism of it when you had. I mean, quite frankly, such a bad experience with it. Like, and I think this kind of goes back to that conversation of that synergy of how 
it is important or it can be important and play a good role, but it doesn't have to be the guiding light word for word forever at all time. Mm. Like it can be a, 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 a foundation to self-discovery rather you know, than a foundation to moral authority. Mm. And, and just now while you were speaking, I thought about another positive because I, I was thinking there has to be more than that, mm. but it, it, uh, it's giving me, uh, a foundation for self-reflection and being a comfortable introvert, being comfortable with being alone and um, reading and, and seeking knowledge. I did all of that because that that came naturally and it was kind of my only way of, of learning more. And that's definitely stuck with me. So I, I view that as a positive because it contributed to my growth and my expansion. So, yeah. There's a little more. Sweet. I like, <laughs> mm -hmm. I like it. Did you have a question, Randy? I'm just thinking about what you two just said, so I don't at the moment. Um, I can think of one. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, so a quick time check. We got about like uh, seven, minutes. seven minutes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm um, trying not to get too deep into something because we yeah, have I don't want to go too deep, but you just ask. mentioned something about your 20s, and I'm kind of. Oh, you said some extreme experiences. Experience. Yeah. 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 Can you give us some, maybe uh, maybe a story or like some examples sure. of what you mean like? <laughs> well, I, sure, I'm pretty or, open. Or, and, and, wait, hold on, hold on. Maybe not so much that. Like, what did that? What did what did the lessons of your twenties teach you? How about that? What did you take from it? Moderation. From, Moderation, and um, the the what keeps playing over is to, to trust my intuition. I'll get red flags and ignore them. And I especially did that in relationship choices in my twenties. And, um, that was, that's been huge. So moderation and don't ignore the red flags. <laughs> They're there for a reason. Intuition always has a way of speaking with us. It's whether we choose to listen or not. That's actually been one of the transitional, um, mentalities that Rodney and I both are trying to employ for different reasons we just you know didn't trust our own intuition for a very long time mm. um for very different reasons for that matter but um at the same time we we are learning to try and use the 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 feeling um as a data point for an for decision making, right? Like, and not just saying, oh, that doesn't matter. Let me think about it entirely logically and come to a decision that doesn't feel right. Like using it as a decision point. Um, one of our guests once uh, used the coin flip analogy when it came to making decisions. And she, she always said like, you can pro and con this thing all day long, but flip a coin and Whichever one you decide to accept the answer right away versus going best two or three is probably the decision that you want to make, right? And uh, it's uh, it's not easy. It, mm -mm. it hasn't been easy. That's usually intuition. It yeah. tells you quick. But we, we like to sometimes overthink things and be like, no, nah, that can't be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's this quote from the great Bruce Lee, well, great in my opinion. Uh, I second that, that. He was great. And he was it says uh, the the he said the medicine for my suffering I had within me from the very beginning, but I did not take it. 
My ailment came from within myself, but I did not observe it until this moment. Now I see I will never find the light unless, like a candle, I am my own fuel. Mm. And, I mean, this dude was a philosopher for sure. But, like, it's so accurate for me, I found. And in my interpretation of what my faith means and my relationship with God and my relationship with how I view, like, when I say Christianity, it's very different than, like, standard Christianity. But, like, my view of it is, like, like God is within each one of us. God is within yes. me. And yes. the answer is here. Like, like, I just need to listen. And, like, the to your point earlier, you said you spend more time reflecting and you spend more time expressing and writing and creating and listening. And I think that, at least for, for me, that has also been very key. And I think there's probably stages, kind of like a butterfly, you know, a caterpillar mm-hmm. and metamorphosis, like stages of life where it's like, all right, I got to take in all this, all these experiences, good, bad, whatever, and then turn them into what I think and what I believe and what I know. And it's been, so I, I've gone through something similar recently where it's just like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really need Netflix. Like, I'm gonna go write. Like, I, I got, I got a story that I wanna, wanna make, um, which is really, it's been kind of cool. That is so, cool. Um, with just a few minutes left, as we have to, to, to wind down the clock here, we always ask one last question. What thought would you leave our, our audience, your audience, with? As we uh, as we come to the end, and actually, even before that, I want to say thank you for joining. Yes, us. thank you for joining us, and it's been, it's been a, just it's been such a cool and fun and like I would describe this as just like a chill conversation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we were get, like usually <laughs> when we get into topics this heavy, like my head's kind of like, oh man, I need a nap now. Yeah. But I feel like really, I feel calm. like I just meditated for an hour and a half. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I meditated. Yeah. Nice. I'm so glad thank that you. That's what kind of energy came up. Yeah. You're very welcome, and thank you. It's been thought provoking, and I also feel real relaxed. I feel pretty good. Oh, good. Um, what I would leave any audience is with is to trust yourself. Trust yourself. Listen to your heart and trust yourself. Simple.